0: This is episode 151 of Bella in Your Business. The best of Bella. Today, I am featuring a best of Bella episode. I want to take you all the way back to episode 20, which if you've started listening to us recently, you might not have had the pleasure to listen to it. I actually was able to track down a former Connecticut State auditor and what we discussed on this call was really remarkable I love it because for a few reasons one I really love being the first in the industry to do anything and to the best of my knowledge I don't know any other industry leader interviewing auditors and talking specifically about pet sitting and dog walking second I love it when I can bring these unique experts to you and have these candid conversations I think you you'll be pretty surprised what her reflection was and what she had to say about business owners actually reaching out to the government and asking for their advice. So without further ado, enjoy this episode. Welcome. To Bella in Your Business, where Bella will discuss anything and everything about your pet sitting business to help you land on target. So get ready. Bella's got your shoot. Let's jump.
1: Welcome to Bella in Your Business. My name is Bella Vasta from Jump Consulting. And today I have a real special treat for all you listeners. Today I have Katrina Kadachevsky. I hope I said that right, Katrina who has over 16 years' experience working in a variety of financial positions. She started in the brokerage industry with a series 7, 63, and 65 health license and then transitioned to audit work for the Connecticut Department of Revenue Services before leaving to support small businesses in their efforts to get organized for expansion. Katrina spent three of her almost eight years with the Connecticut Department of Revenue in the Business and Employment Tax Audit Unit, which is why she's here today. She focused primarily on payroll tax issues. The last five years, she worked as a corporation tax auditor, traveling across the U.S., auditing largely Fortune 500 companies. So, Katrina, thank you for being with us here today. Oh, I'm
2: excited to be here. I think I mentioned to you, nobody
1: ever wants to talk to an auditor or a government worker at that. <laughs> Right? They're probably too shy or too afraid they're going to say the wrong thing. But today we're going to blow the lid off of it. Katrina, as you know, I kind of give you a little background. And in the pet industry, there's a big controversy right now going on. It actually has been many years in the making about misclassification of workers being independent contractors or employees. And I've been very vocal. I take the stance of employees. I've even interviewed other pet sitters who have been audited. In fact, if you look back at Episode 7 of Bella in Your Business, you hear about one Texas worker who was audited and switched to employees because the Texas labor force told her that because her workers didn't provide dog bowls, she therefore was supplying materials and she had employees. It was just crazy, and Katrina, I know you listened to that one as well to kind of prepare for this, but I just am so excited to get your take on this, and I want everyone to know, too, that we met through good old-fashioned networking, which I always encourage people to do. Just talk to people, figure out what their story is, what they've done, and you never know what you can learn from it. So for those of you who don't believe in networking, Katrina and I today is a fruit of both of our networking efforts. So, Katrina, <laughs> welcome again. Tell me, tell me more about yourself. Tell me the down low of who Katrina really is because I told the whole accolade, but now why don't you give us an insight to who you are and about your auditing years. Okay. Well,
2: like you mentioned, I initially started out in brokerage. Um, it was just something that I fell into following an internship that I had in college. But it really wasn't a great fit, in my opinion, to have a 21-year-old step into the workforce and start telling 65-year-olds where to put their <laughs> nest eggs. I just felt like they should have a lot more market experience <laughs> than I did. I mean, so I stuck it out and I gave it a shot. But ultimately, it wasn't a great fit for me. So then I switched basically from one of the fastest-paced industries to one of the slowest-paced government work. I know everybody has their preconceived notions about people who work for the government. And, I mean, I don't want to say that they're all untrue, but there are some of us who, you know, work very hard to do the right thing as public servants. So I actually joined the Connecticut Department of Revenue Services They had received some funding to initiate this business and employment tax audit group, which previously had not existed. There were about 10 of us hired on at the same time to address this payroll tax and other business employment tax issues, obviously. And it was exciting to be part of something new. We had a really fresh group of people who were excited to learn together, grow together, And, I mean, that was one thing that struck me the most when I listened to that podcast about the woman in Texas and her experience with that Texas Workforce Commission. Because it sounds like that was a really unfortunate experience with people who, I don't know, maybe they just kind of took advantage or there was some power that they felt that they had there. But it just sounds like a very unreasonable experience. It definitely wasn't one that I had. We were all very focused on educating taxpayers and working with them to get them up to speed on what they need to do.
1: Just if I can stop you there, because I I don't want this point to go by the wayside. You had said you know, an unreasonable person, but I think that's just the very place that a lot of small business owners' fears come from, that we've learned and heard so many stories of being the subject to one auditor's interpretation of classification or payroll taxes or whatever it might be. And I've even, Katrina, interviewed some people where, and mostly it's the states that, you know, are auditing people, where they've come and they've said, hey, do it X, Y, Z way. So they say, okay, they do it. And then a year later they get audited again and they get penalized for doing it X, Y, Z way. And they say, no, 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 (laughs) you should actually be doing it ABC way. And these small business owners just feel so helpless, you know? So I think you definitely perked my ears when you said unreasonable, because I feel like, and I'd love for you to shed light on this, and I'm totally deviating from it. No, that's 100%
2: true. I mean, at the end of the day,
1: like I said, I mean, I think it was
2: the management style to say that we're out there to educate taxpayers and help them report correctly. We're not out there to threaten them and make them fearful of interacting with us. Again, my experience with the state of Connecticut, I don't know how other commissions or the Department of Labor of or the IRS approaches things. Although I have had interactions with the IRS and with other examiners through the Multi State Tax Commission. And I, I would say that most of those people were reasonable and were coming from a place, yeah. you know, where their ultimate goal, like I said, is to educate and teach them the proper ways. That being said, the government doesn't have a lot of resources, typically. It doesn't matter what government, I think. (laughs) So, technologically, they're behind, or you know, the experience where you're saying somebody came in and said you must do it X, Y, Z way, and then Next audit cycle, they're told, nope, it's ABC. You know, their training is not necessarily up to speed, or the regulations and the statutes maybe have changed. And I mean, yeah. who goes home and
1: reads those at night? To <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, no kidding, right? I think, it's such riveting uh, material. <laughs> Yeah, it's just
2: just a lot of material, and, you know, I think we're going to get into this too, how interpretation comes into play, what's black and white versus what's gray. Going back to what I was saying about reading the statutes and regulations, none of us were lawyers that got hired on either to read these statutes. We do our best to make our own interpretation. Obviously, it's probably skewed more towards the side of collecting revenue for the state than Uh it is for the benefit of every single individual and employer, we did have people up the chain. We had lawyers on staff to help address audit issues once they got to a level where we're like, okay, you know, maybe this is something that we do need to take to court to get an official ruling on. But I I would say in general, understanding it and then applying it, some things get lost in translation there too. And it depends Mm -hmm. on the facts and circumstances of each situation. I don't know a ton about the pet sitting business. I understand the concept.
1: I would imagine a lot of auditors don't. So it's kind of uncanny in a way, you know, like they don't Mm -hmm. understand the industry. And for someone using that example of a dog bowl to understand how ludicrous it would be for an actual (laughs) pet to carry around their own dog bowl to each house that they go to. You know, that's just ludicrous.
2: I don't even understand what point they were trying to drive home at that because as I think about the way that we looked at misclassification, which was really based primarily on how much control do you have over that individual performing the work, I don't know what a dog bowl has to do with any of that. I mean, part of the auditor's responsibility is to immerse yourself in that industry and understand how it works. So, you know, it's not really an excuse to say, I don't know pet sitting. You figure it out. You talk to them. You interview the owner. You interview some of the staff. You know, you do your internet research. If there are cases out there, legal cases that you can review to say, oh, this determination was made one way or another, you should be reviewing that information too. So that's a very peculiar situation (laughs) from what I can Yeah, it
1: is. Um, So, all right, I'm a small business owner and I'm being audited by the state. What kind of documents should I have at my disposal that they're going to ask for? Can you give us an idea of uh, what documents I should have? Sure.
2: Basically... At the onset, what we would do is we would send a letter say, you're under audit and here's a list of the records we would like you to make available to us for our audit appointment or you know you can send them in to us, whatever is easier. Or we'll meet with your tax person, CPA, bookkeeper, what have you, to review them. But what we did was we asked for if they're a sole proprietor, we want to see their personal income tax return and how they're reporting their income and expenses. It's not, you know, their S corp or partnership return. We want to see Mm -hmm. payroll reports. And typically, we would do a three-year audit period. So Mm -hmm. we would want to see this documentation for three years. We would also ask for the federal and state W-4 forms to make sure that if they have employees, they are withholding the proper percentages. Uh, We would also ask for a bank statement, bank account information, one of the other things that we looked for was underreported wages. A lot of times, entrepreneurs will pay for their mortgage or their second vehicle or their kids' camps or whatever through the business, and that's ultimately wages, whether it's in the form of distribution or actual salary that needs to be accounted for. Mm-hmm. We look for anything that wasn't classified as wages and should be, I guess, basically. And then, we, ha- you know, we have the misclassification issue. Of, okay, who, who are you paying to do what services? Now, obviously, if you're a pet sitter and you've hired a CPA, that's not somebody you put on your payroll. That is somebody who would actually 1099 at the end of the year. But if you have people doing pet sitting for you, we want to see any contracts related to that. If you are treating them as an independent contractor you know, we want to see those payments. Are they regular in nature? You know, we also want to see other things like... Let's talk
1: about that. You bring up good points. Some of them I want to dive down in because I know they'd be interesting to the listeners. So you Mm -hmm. had said contracts, are they ongoing? Ongoing, like if someone was a contractor for me for a year or two or three? Okay. Well, I mean, one thing that we would want to see if you are calling this staff,
2: independent contractors, well, do you actually have a contract with them that states the terms of the contract? Because a lot of the time within there, it'll lead you to points about how much control you have. Like, are you providing training to them? Are you providing them with a uniform? Are you setting their specific hours of work? Really, what we're looking for to see is this a true contractor who potentially has their own pet sitting businesses and is out there offering these services on their own, so then they have their own viable business and they're just working for you periodically to assist mm-hmm. with your venture. Or is it somebody that you're literally, you're bringing in, you're training them on your brand, your company, you're walking them through the steps about how to do it, you're providing them with any tools or, you know, materials like the leashes, the pet
1: food, the dog bowls, <laughs> um, you know. You're so checking that, up you on know, them. You're saying the client, you know, yeah. I need you to do it that way. They're getting a regular right. paycheck. Are you're they subject the pay- to reviews? Like are, like yeah. you're saying, quality control,
2: uh, have, have you ending. set the hours of work? or How loose is the relationship, really? That's what yeah. you know, you're know. you getting at. The IRS actually has a 20-factor
1: test. Yeah. Very familiar with it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I was they're, <laughs> they're going exactly against it. You know, like they're, not so many, but there are some with contractors that they think that employees cost more and it's just not the case. You know, it's such a myth. And that's why I've really stood on my soapbox to really, you know, dive into this topic. And we do, we encourage, you know, if you're going to have independent contractors, they should be registered with the state for their own business. Wouldn't you agree? Exactly. (laughs) Yep. And if they're not, that would be a flag. Like, and mm-hmm. if they were only working for you and they were doing the same client Monday through Friday, week after week after week, that kind of is more an employee. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. So I hope I'm perking some of our listeners' ears right now to kind of really take some self-evaluation. Tell me more about, you had mentioned that the state is looking for revenue through these audits. And it's not necessarily like they're looking out for the best interest of the small business all the time. Like their intent is to get workers who are misclassified. Tell me if I'm right here. Therefore employees, which means the state gets more money. And if, if they can find more workers that are identified incorrectly, they're going to benefit revenue-wise, correct? Well, I mean, ultimately, even as an independent
2: contractor, you should be reporting your pay. So then you pay it on the personal income tax side versus through Uh the business side. But yes, I mean, in terms of withholding, there's definitely money that's being missed out there. It's unpaid taxes. It's stuff related to unemployment compensation, workers' comps. Premiums, things of that nature. You know, tax revenue is definitely one of the main issues, but also from the Department of Labor standpoint, too, with unemployment. You know, when people want to file for that, where are those funds coming from if you're not collecting them from the people who are employed? I mean, we shared information with both the IRS and the Department of Labor in order to determine who we would be auditing, because Mm. the Department of Labor had a slightly different approach to this, but ultimately, again, we're looking at, like, the behavioral control and the financial control of that individual.
1: Right, because there's many different agencies that can technically audit a business. It's
2: not just... Yeah, I mean, the, the Texas Workforce Commission, I don't know if that is what they call their Department of Labor within Texas yeah. or, or if that's an even third party or what I would do as a third party, you know, after the IRS yeah. and then the state audit and then Department of Labor and then Workforce
1: Commission. What do you think about this, Katrina? If I am going to be audited, should I just be all happy-go-lucky, I'm doing the right thing, I'm going to go, or should I send my CPA or my lawyer to go talk to you guys? Should I open my mouth <sighs> or should I keep it shut? You should open your
2: checkbook. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You know, that's a tough thing to say because I think some people are just more business savvy than others. Uh I would say, in general, though, you know, if you have an issue with your car, do you try to fix it yourself or do you take it to somebody who has Uh a mechanical background? I want to say that, you know, when it came to doing more of the mom and pop level audits, They didn't know how to necessarily negotiate or protect themselves or speak to their position as well as somebody who is more seasoned. I would definitely say that if you know that bookkeeping of any sort or record keeping or payroll is something that is not a strength, you definitely need to hire somebody to represent you. Now, that being said, those people can sometimes make it three times worse. From an auditor's perspective, if I can't get a hold of them, if it's taking them forever to get me documentation, I think it is very important for the business owner to play a role in this, for sure, and even maybe to manage it and manage the relationship. So, I know that it is an expense for them to hire a CPA or somebody to sort of run interference, Mm -hmm. but ultimately, you should be hiring somebody who has that special skills and knowledge set of the statutes and regulations and how to apply it. Right. I would definitely say that it's to their benefit to do that.
1: Yeah, that's a great answer, and it offers a lot of great insight. Sometimes I hear pet sitters and dog walkers or business owners say, and sometimes it kind of sounds a little naive, and sometimes it is on point, but they say, well, my CPA said it's okay if I do it this way, or my CPA said I should have independent contractors, but their independent contractor works them Monday through Friday from 10 to 2 walking the same dogs every day. They get the same paycheck. They don't even invoice their person. The business owner might not have employee manual, but you know that the business owner is still checking up or doing some sort of quality control on them. But they just still say, hey, well, my CPA said it's okay. And it makes <laughs> me really sad to hear that sometimes because my retort to that, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, is, Well, your CPA or your lawyer isn't going to be the one that's going to either, A, be there to defend you necessarily, B, be the interpreter of it all. And I always say, Katrina, the decision in the pet industry to have independent contractors versus employees come answer to the question of how much risk are you willing to take? And I think Mm -hmm. if you can answer that question, you can determine you know, how comfortable or not comfortable you are with classification. What are your thoughts on all that? You know, for somebody
2: to just rely on, well, my CPA said they can be independent contractor. Well, why do they say that? Have them provide yeah. you with yeah. some supporting documentation. So, I mean, you can at least speak to the issue and say, this is why I was advised of this. Um, yeah. And I don't know, potentially hold your CPA more accountable for, you know, the consulting that they're providing you with and just be careful you know I would definitely interview multiple CPAs to find out okay well who has the most experience with this specific issue because some CPAs maybe are just more focused on doing financials at the year-end maybe they don't really work very closely with payroll the other consult would be uh, a lawyer, you know, somebody who has yeah. experience with employment labor issues. You know, maybe okay. get opinions from lawyers and CPAs. The other oh. thing you can do, I know the IRS offers this, and we offered it as well. You don't know, contact us. Put forward to your issues. Say, this is what I have. This is how I'm running it. And, I mean, unfortunately, again, government, the wheels turn a little bit slower. It may take six months or so to get a ruling. but. We would have been happy to have somebody say, this is my business and this is what I'm doing. Please provide me guidance. Obviously, they can't do it the same way a CPA can, but if you put forth this information about, like, the 20-factor test, they'd be happy to say, well, you know, we believe that this is a case where they are employees. I mean, you could get that from the get-go. You knew
1: exactly how you I were going to tailor it. They do that because they're afraid of saying the wrong thing and then all of a sudden being audited because they said the wrong thing. Well, I mean, the audit
2: is some of them are targeted, some of them are random, and wouldn't you rather know ahead of the game?
1: Yes, of <laughs> than
2: course, of course have it hit you and now they're now potentially. I had said earlier we typically look at a 3 year audit period but we have the right to expand it back further especially if we think there is a case of state
1: fraud or tax evasion or mm-hmm. something like that too. You know, I don't so know how others do an audit. How would you guys have I mean I know you did Fortune 500, but like in terms of like a small mom and pop like how would you determine who to go and audit? Like what kind of things would flag that or how would they be chosen? Do you have any insight on that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. That was part of what I was saying before. We share information with the Department of Labor and we share information with the IRS. So we have the ability to get reports of audits they're doing. So then we go and look through their audits and look at how that company is reporting to the Connecticut Department of Revenue and see if there's anything that is a red flag there. Some of that information was financial. It, was just, it ran through our proprietary software. and so audit selection was generated through the computer then the other thing is you know we would look at you know you're saying pet sitting is a big issue one of the, we looked at a few different business types one of them was people who were involved in boat brokerage they worked for marinas did they also separately work for themselves so then we would say okay this is Connecticut not Arizona so we had water so mm-hmm. we would look at <laughs> all of the marinas and then you know we would say okay how's this one doing it how's this one doing it and compare within the industry. We also, at one point, we thought, like a court reporter, that's an industry where a lot of people are labeled as independent contractors. Mm -hmm. You know, we share information with other states, and... Like I had mentioned that multi-state tax commission, there's plenty of commissions and agencies and CPA groups even, you know, and there's hot button items in different states. And so we look at how they're addressing it and how they're tackling it, even all the way down to like our work papers up to par, you know, what information can we share? So there's a lot of comparison and sharing of information that
1: helps the states determine who they're going to select for audit. This stuff is fascinating, and it's just crazy because I think and I've seen that part of it is subjective, so then that breeds fear in a lot of small business owners, you know, and then they want to do it on the up and up. They also are just terrified of being audited. So I've heard that you could, you know, you said that the government operates at a slower pace, which we all know. How far back? could we be keeping records or how far back could they be auditing? Is it that three years and after three years you added a wood, so to speak? Because I hear people like go, I'm going to switch to uh, ICs today, um, to employees today, so I don't have to worry about anything. But I say, uh, what about next year if someone knocks on your door for two years ago? You know, is mm-hmm. that a possibility? Could that happen? That is definitely a possibility because okay. one of the things – we would do as part of the audit result
2: and say, okay, you are going to switch from independent contractors to employees. We're going to come back in two years to make sure that you've made that switch, you know, that Mm -hmm. you weren't just blowing smoke. So, yeah, that's definitely a possibility that somebody will come back and check. Or, you know, and that may also be something that's done within the office and it isn't a full-blown audit that's issued again. Right. It really just depends more on the, the government resources, And is it a big enough company or a big enough issue, or was it a highly contested enough thing that it's something that they would want to continue to focus on in the
1: future? But, yeah, there's definitely a possibility of that. There's this program that the IRS does, you may or may not know, called the Voluntary Reclassification Settlement Program. And what they do is you fill out a form, and it's for people that have existing independent contractors and they want to switch to employees. And they say, hey, IRS, yeah, I'm going to switch to employees. The IRS says, fill out this form, of course. (laughs) And you pay like 10% of the wages, the W-4 taxes, rather, that you would have paid the previous year. And Mm -hmm. they call it like your fine or whatever. And once you do that, then all of a sudden you can switch with the blessing of the IRS. And they Mm will agree not to audit you because you said hey i made a mistake i think i wasn't doing this right i'm going to switch i'll pay this fine this is this is how that goes my first question is have you ever heard of that I think I have heard of that and it sounds kind of similar to
2: basically any kind of amnesty program where we're just encouraging you to come forward, volunteer, send us your information, tell us what taxes you owed. We had ran several amnesty programs. We would reduce like the penalties and fines Mm -hmm. by over seventy five percent of the interest as well was something that we would bring down just to have people voluntarily come forward and say, Okay, we've learned this and You know, it gives them a break, and it also saves the
1: manpower for other audits. Incredible. So I could see how a business owner might be a little scared to come forward because they don't really have a guarantee of the amnesty. But at the same time, if you want to be really on the up and up and very trustworthy and you know in your gut that you Mm -hmm. made a mistake, you know, with classification, if you just do those amnesty programs, then you could sleep well at night, not worrying or wondering. I can totally see how it's overwhelming, especially when you start looking
2: at the statute information, all the documentation and, I mean, mm-hmm. the manuals and the booklets and, you know, it's definitely a lot. Hopefully, you can speak to somebody who is reasonable. The other thing that a you know, business owner should probably know is there is... A bit of a negotiation because very few things, I would say, are black and white. There's some things that are, but most is up to some kind of interpretation. And especially when you're looking at the 20-factor test, how each of those things is weighted. Uh Maybe 10 of them are in your favor. 10 of them are in, if you want to call it, the state's favor. But ultimately, there's two that are really big. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, those are really the two that you need to focus on. And then, you know, ultimately, if it comes out that you are in the wrong, there's payment plan options, and I would also say that, you know, in general, the government is looking to collect as much as they can, as quickly as they can for their budget. So, if you sure. can put forth some type of good, safe payments, and then maybe you can negotiate on a penalty and the fines, you know, I, I, I would say the worst is they're going to say is no. Just treat yeah. it like... I mean, I don't want to say treat it like you're buying
1: a car and that whole negotiation, but... Um, I think people are just afraid of Pandora's box, you know? And I think it's amazing that you were hired specifically to find certain payroll tax issues. Like, that was your specific job. It was like you were a trained bloodhound. <laughs> and I know that these agencies are doing this more and more and more. Like, every year, it's more and more on misclassification of workers because it is a revenue stream for them. And it's interesting to me how I see different states, you know, vocally working with the different departments and the feds. And I have been looking for someone like you as a resource or someone to bounce ideas off of. And I'm sure that everyone listening is very, very, very appreciative of your time and and insight to all of this because you're that safe place we can go to. (laughs) Absolutely. We can't just call up an auditor and say, hey, I own this company and I was wondering. (laughs) Because it's kind of scary. So, that being said, Katrina, if this podcast once it goes far and wide and we get more and more questions, would you be open to coming back on again if we have some more follow up questions for you? Oh, certainly. I would love to be able to help people with this issue any way that
2: I can. Because I don't like the idea that there's so much fear out there <laughs> about it. Yeah, there's um, a lot of fear. You know.
1: Definitely. Yeah, I'd say ninety nine percent of it is all fear. I like to slay fear and give people the facts (laughs) that they don't have the fear. But Katrina, from the bottom of my heart, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Please feel free to comment, share, spread, like, subscribe to the blog, post your comments below, questions for Katrina. We can get her back on, like she said. And thanks
0: for listening, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for jumping with Bella in your business. For more information, free articles, free coaching sessions, and more, go to jumpconsulting.net. And remember, Bella's got your shoot.